Welcome back to Theory for Turntables, the TFT podcast. I'm Ryan, and that's not Matt. It's TFT punk, punk correspondent Rachel. Rachel, I love you. Well, I cease to resist, but I'm not giving my goodbye. And we're also joined by a third guest, uh, occasional contributor and guest, uh, DJ Bean. Hey, DJ, if man is five, if man is five, if man is five, then the devil is six, then the devil is six, the devil is six, the devil is six, and if the devil is six, then God is seven, then God is seven. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, guys. Guys, we're, I honestly could probably spend the next hour just quoting lines and pieces and sounds of this week's album to you. Uh, if, you if you're not hip to this, and I think you probably are, we're discussing um, Doolittle, uh, the second studio album by the Pixies. And, you know, what, let's, just, let's just get out, right out of the gate. It's one of the greatest albums of all time, <laughs> you know? Yes. Uh, of, oh, dear God, yeah. Of all genres uh, and, and, all, uh, and all forms of music. Uh, and, and it's an album that I know the three of us um, really like a lot. Uh, I actually, th- I'm actually fairly certain that um, Rachel is actually the person that introduced uh, the album as a whole to me. I believe uh, the uh, song uh, "Debaser," the first song on the album, was introduced to me by uh, uh, Overthinking It contributor and occasional guest Jordan Stokes. But I think Rachel is responsible for um, really making this an album that I liked a lot, and it kind of opened up the Pixies for me as a band and, and kind of the discography and uh dj i know that part of why i invited you is that you've recently written on um uh, on the pixies and kind of uh re- resolved a nirvana versus pearl jam debate by answering the pixies uh if, if i'm not mistaken with lo- and largely with reference to this album yeah absolutely <clears throat> um it's funny that you mentioned how you got into the pixies uh i used to be I used to like play video games because kids used to do that. And I got into the Pixies because Debaser was in like an NCAA football game. And that might be the last time I played a, uh, a video game because I heard that song and just like went to Newberry Comics and bought all the Pixies stuff because I was like, whatever this is, I am totally on board. So you basically, uh, you basically like that video game was like Natalie Portman uh, in in Garden State, uh, and, exactly. uh, and 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 the NCAA football said, "Hey, listen to this; it will change your life," and it did. And you stopped playing NCAA football. <laughs> exactly, it was horrible for the video game, but it was wonderful for me. That is amazing. I, I would love to know. It's like it would be amazing if like uh, that game is responsible for getting like legions of like. Like uh, dudes your age and approximately yeah, like, our age. What into music. bands did did like came about because <laughs> it, kids were playing an NCAA video game and were like, we need to play music like the Pixies now. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not MTV. It's not. It's not Pitchfork. It's NCAA uh, NCAA uh, EA Sports. I assume game that is yes. get, getting people right. So it's it's in the game. One of the things that is in the game is is slicing up eyeballs. Yeah, I love this idea. Like you know, there's somewhere out there there's a bunch of kids who like started punk bands because they loved 
the Tony Hawk skateboarding game. Oh, yeah. yeah. But they had yeah. no idea. So not to go down a totally rabbit hole, but the song that um, was introduced to me by the Tony Hawk game is Motorhead's Ace of Spades. Um, yes. And so uh, and that's why that's why I joined a biker gang. Like, you know, I just dropped everything, joined a biker gang and never played video games again. But, you know, but that's that's a topic for another podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're here to, to talk about all things related to Debaser. You've, or, or of, uh, not only Debaser, but uh, Doolittle. If you've not heard Doolittle, uh, give it a spin. It's a quick listen. Um, and, you know, if you have extra time, just expand your way throughout the um, the Pixies discography. Uh, and it, it's an amazing thing where, you know, every right now we're marching through the late 80s and early 90s and we could be and we're spending you know two or three weeks um on each year uh in the period roughly from 88 to 91 and we could do a pixies album for every one of those stretches right if we're picking kind of great albums from 88 89 90 and 91 the pixies released four great albums in each of those years and only in those years right that they're this kind of like white hot like uh flash uh that is is covering this entire period that we're discussing um and and i find that that like level of kind of productivity and influence um really really uh interesting and uh doolittle is the kind of white hot core of that supernova of influence right um and so uh this is i think we're going right to the center of it but if you have some time um definitely i I definitely recommend going and listening to the rest of the pixies discography uh maybe Maybe jump ahead even to Nirvana, uh, to Pearl Jam, get excited for, uh, for, for the class of 91 that's coming down the pike. Uh, but regardless, listen to Doolittle, um, get it in your head, and then come back here to, to listen to us and join the discussion uh, after this word from our commercial sponsors. Are you a dead monkey? <laughs> Oh, well, monkey, are you? It looks like you're kind of going to hell. Don't don't do that, dead monkey. No, no, no. It's okay. Uh, there's a way to forgive your sins. Yes, just repent, and you can come to heaven. That's right. All are welcome in heaven, whether it's monkeys, humans, sinners, anything. All are forgiven by the encompassing forgiveness of the Lord. You're welcome, monkey. And we're back. (laughs) Uh, Hey, uh, DJ and Rachel, I have a a question for you guys. Yes? Yes. Um, So... These pixies, with their tremendous influence uh, on on all alternative rock that that comes later, with these indelibly great songs, with their amazing sense of of both weirdness and yet uh, pop hooks, are they the best and most important thing to ever come out of Boston, Massachusetts? Uh- I feel that we're forgetting here that uh, New Jack Swing originated in Boston, Massachusetts. So let's hold our horses for a little bit. I think Belle Biv DeVoe's parents listen to the podcast and they would be awfully upset if they were to hear the suggestion that uh, some iconic rock band was more important than New Jack Swing. Rachel? You know, I didn't know uh, about New Jack Swing coming out of Boston. Um, 
I learned it recently, so I'm so excited. I think from I me, from me, you guys told me. I, I told you. No, no. I, I, yeah. Okay. I, good. I, I actually played this in asking this question. I'm like, oh man, uh, I, if I hadn't told DJ that fact about Belvedere Devoe uh, right, coming from Boston, uh, he would have just I agreed made with Donna me. a summer joke or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I want to say that, you know, the Pixies are, are, are more imp- are important to indie rock. But they're even more important to Boston. Oh, do tell. And I guess the other uh, fact that, that we should uh, let listeners know is that all three of us who are on this episode today uh, reside within the greater Boston yes. metropolitan area. So we are, we are experts. We are qualified. Uh, but so, so why are the, uh, the Pixies so important to Boston, Rachel? I think the Pixies, to, to me, they're, they're part of the – well, let me – well, back up. They're, I, I do think they're, they're part of – they're part of what I would call like the canon as much as any other part of, you know, what you might think of the canon um, is a part of like the liberal arts education. Like the Pixies are a part of a liberal arts education. You go to you go to a liberal arts school and you learn about, you know, like Greek philosophy, you know, different kinds of uh, political, you know, kind of ancient polit- classic political theory the the history of western europe uh math science and the pixies right and you listen to the pixies a lot uh you know and you also i think watch like a lot of the movies that are are referenced and sort of a kind of part of the the visual and lyrical content of uh pixies albums including this one in particular you know you watch art films right and you watch surrealist art films um, and I think there's, I think there, you know, I think there's a lot, I think they're just like very important and, and they get passed down generation to generation, uh, as, as this sort of influence. Um, uh, but then I think like they're important to Boston because I think they're a part of like how Boston sees itself as being cool. Right. And like, look, we're cool. We were cool. We, we produced this and like, there's a whole I think kind of like a history of Boston that is also kind of like a, this like indie rock countercultural, you know, college past that we mythologize and, and, and like kind of as part of our sort of conception of ourselves as cool people. Yeah. Well, few a few cities have uh, a perhaps uh, unwarranted chip on its shoulder the way Boston does. Like Boston, Bostonians have a like what do you mean you don't you don't think I'm great kind of thing about it? And it's like no one said you're not great. Like I, I guess I'm just not spending all day like fawning over you. You know, like a lot of Boston <laughs> sports fans are so angry, like they hate us because they ain't us. And it's like no one's even talking about you, man. Relax. Um, I feel that that's. I hope that I don't have a lot of those Bostonian qualities, but I definitely have it as it relates to the Pixies. And as you kind of talked about a lot of Bostonish things, I was like, oh, damn, that might be the most Bostonian thing about me is that every time someone talks about another great alternative rock band, I get in such a huff that the Pixies are being discredited. Um, certainly, uh, Ryan referenced the, uh, the Nirvana Pearl Jam thing. The answer to that, I feel, is always the Pixies. So ultimately, I think the Pixies are more important to rock than they are to Boston. But having the Pixies is really, really important to Boston, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it is really interesting, and we, we can kind of circle around both of these. This is why I I asked the question: is that it's this it's this weird and interesting piece of the narrative. If part of the narrative we're tracing out is kind of how the '90s become the '90s, right, or how we get to the '90s, um, that that narrative is one that you know more and more as we get to to um, '91, Seattle becomes the center of gravity. But even in the run up to that, it's much more kind of on the big. Cities of the coast. It's New York. You know, we talked about Sonic Youth and kind of what was going on. Sonic Youth and Public Enemy, right, in New York. Um, and we also talked about uh, earlier uh, about um, Red Hot Chili Peppers and and L.A. And so. Boston and kind of Massachusetts, New England more generally, is this interesting thing of you both have the Pixies um, and slightly before that and kind of concurrent uh, Dinosaur Jr., right? As And they're this kind of the unsung heroes of um, of kind of the emergence of alternative rock, right? And of, of what kind of becomes just what rock music sounds like uh, in the um, in in the in the 90s. And they're, they're large um, and, and Sonic Youth is like this as well, kind of unsung heroes. I mean, it's it's hard because it's one of these things where they the other bands really became the superstars, and the um, the Pixies and and Dinosaur Junior in their own ways were much more kind of these journeymen, right? Like that, and yeah. uh, and they they put out these great albums. They had some commercial success, um, but then. You know, melted down um, only to like reemerge in the early 2000s, right? And like in in the time to reemerge once kind of alternative was um, burned out and kind of indie became the new mainstream alternative, right? Uh, and, and if that if that makes any sense, that you um, and so you you then have a, a a thing where you know the Pixies are now headlining big festivals and and kind of big big shows but that was something that happened um over time as being kind of a cult classic and and by kind of by people who like got into nirvana and then wanted to go a few steps deeper right like yeah yeah. it's also we're in an age of so much accessibility and information and things being readily available like i i got an argument with my friend over nwa um a while ago and i said like when i was in middle school straight out of compton was my favorite album and he was like well you didn't well you never listened to their second album why and i was like because i didn't have ten dollars to go buy another nwa album i just like loved the one that i could listen to and now if you hear something you like and you really really want to dissect it and go down these kind of rabbit holes you can on YouTube, you can on Apple Music, Spotify, whatever. So it's so easy to find out when you hear Nirvana and you're like, oh, were they trying to be the Pixies? Within a minute, you have your answer. And it's obviously yes. And you were talking about uh, what you were basically saying made me think like the Pixies were your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. You know, like there were so many of these bands that even if they hadn't blown up yet, such as Radiohead, Radiohead was percolating at this time, right? They were around and they were writing music and they hadn't found success yet. But Doolittle comes out and suddenly um, like Creep, I think, was written at some point in the 80s. It could have even been written before uh, Doolittle came out. But when they record it in early 1992, they record it like it's uh, like it's I bleed and it has like those like really chunky, angry guitars and things that were happening in rock 
got to happen so much better because there was one band that as everyone was trying to figure out what the play was, one band was going for it in a lot of like weird and at times incorrect ways. Because I mean, I'm sure if you went to like a music major who knew his theory inside and out, they would tell you that the Pixies and their chord progressions were an absolute mess. But as you were saying, that kind of helped inform how rock started to sound. Like if you if you just played all major chords instead of any minor chords in a song, that became acceptable. And like the those weird sounds were now a part of the average ears vocabulary. Yeah, I think, I mean, this is a good kind of topic of, like, one thing that you, there's a few things that you mentioned. Uh, it's worth kind of cataloging some of the things that happen um, in the sound of Doolittle that are, like, are part of how music changed, right? And you, you mentioned kind of two of them. One is the kind of types of chords that are played and kind of, like, the kinds of guitar sounds that count as guitar rock, right? And this is kind of coming off of what a, a mainstream that is, you know, in terms of when there are, like, guitar cars in the mainstream in the late 80s it's largely right guns and roses right yeah. um, right and 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 you have stuff that that is you know more or less kind of close to bluesier progressions right and kind yeah. of and ultimately to kind of uh rock and roll but you have um the pixies kind of playing with things that are um and you know it's part of this triumvirate of bands that we mentioned uh that i've already mentioned of dinosaur jr um and sonic youth who are playing with these weird tunings or weird chords progressions um so that's like one piece and then the other that's kind of that you alluded to and is is uh in the that i think of with creep uh that's there with creep and it's there with nirvana is is something that's mentioned a ton with the pixies is is dynamics right and kind of yes. playing with the loud uh the loud and soft um and and it's, it is so interesting to think that the introduction of wide dynamic variation can be revolutionary but like i mean you know why is that the case or, and, and what did what does that kind of like uh what what kind of connects uh, about that to 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 you two guys um or just dj if you have anything <laughs> um sorry i i, I got lost a, a bit because i kind of went down a rabbit hole once you mentioned uh or not a rabbit hole but i just uh my mind wan- wandered uh or seceded as oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. say in this conversation um <laughs> once you mentioned dynamics because it is so so magnificently true like um i used i mentioned i bleed earlier and um i'm trying to think uh it's just escaping me um the song that uh tame, tame. Um, yeah that's in which exactly the, one the verse is literally whispering and the chorus is screaming um that sort of drama in pop like that sort of drama is basically uh heightening pop music right like it's supposed to be fun and boppy or at least reserved in the verse and then everything blows up in the chorus and the Pixies did that. Like the Pixies were super, super poppy, even though they, even though um, someone who only listens to Top Forty might not be put onto it. Someone who like listens to a lot of Paul McCartney or whatever would probably love it because they're clearly attacking pop from a very alternative angle, and the results that come out are things that someone's maybe used to hearing. But as I said, like as far as uh, neglecting minor chords at points it goes um you're hearing something uh attempted that you're used to hearing but it's being attempted in like a very very defiant way 
Yeah, and I think it is interesting that that kind of opening up that degree of dynamic range, right, of, of you know, that the idea that both a whisper and a scream are acceptable and can exist in one album, let alone one song, is, is really interesting, right? Because even the range of variation is, you know, something like, you know, is something like live and let die, right? Right, uh, right? like, uh, which, which definitely ramps up, but like live within like you know you know uh it, it's like the the highs and lows are kind of within one standard deviation from like the mean volume of of that right. song uh and whereas kind of whispers and scream go from barely audible to barely listenable right because uh, uh and 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 so it, it, and it's it's actually this this effect where when there's the whispering when there's the quietness you actually it draws you in right and then once you're drawn in where you maybe turned your volume up or you've pushed your but right. closer, or you stand closer to the speaker, then it, then, then, then it, it whiplashes you, right, and blows you out of the water. And to um, that, yeah. to that point, uh, on Surfer Rosa, they do that too, but they just do it by like half of Surfer Rosa. You can't even hear Frank's vocals; mm-hmm. they're just like they're just turned down. They're buried in the mix, so he's singing, but it's kind of buried beneath a lot of loud guitars. And in this. The vocals are front and center, but they're, it's kind of it's just like manual dynamics. Instead yeah. of singing and it being quiet in your headphones, it's just singing very lightly because you're about to, to scream. Yeah, I think that's – and it is interesting. You know, weirdly, the thing – and, and you can see that fingerprint not just on some of the alternative bands that we discussed, but it's it's actually carried through to the top forty. I mean, I think about since you've been gone, right? That since yeah. you've been gone, absolutely has you know it's it's just a smidge. The ex- two extremes since you've been gone are just a smidge on either side of the the range on tame. Um, and that there's actually a lot of ways in which the blueprint of since you've been gone is a lot like team right um even uh and and actually um and, and it makes sense, right? Because it's kind of well known and been publicized that Max Martin, when when writing since you've been gone, was influenced by the yeah yeah yeahs, right? And so that you can kind of actually see, you can pretty closely trace a line from Pixies to the yeah yeah yeahs through to Kelly right. Clarkson. But again, this is like one of these things where, um, I mean, it is interesting in that the kind of monkey is one of the symbols of the. Um, of of this album right in monkey gone to heaven and on the album art because there's a lot of ways in which is this is kind of this album is kind of the missing link right this is like the missing evolutionarily link in the development of both modern pop and modern rock and like you say, it, uh, it, 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 you may not even know that it's there, and, and you don't necessarily need to know it to feel its influence. But I think then when people eventually find it, it feels very familiar. That's such a good point because, I mean, you it's not like everything the Pixies are doing on this album is completely um, out of time for 1989. Like, I look at, I look at the first 19 seconds of... Uh, of this album, which is the opening 19 seconds of, um, of debaser. And it's like everything that you want in a great rock album. But because that, it means that it's some things that you've heard before. Like you have the bass intro just from listening to the pixies before you've heard that before. And then it's these like sophisticated guitars that the pixies aren't really known for. And then when the main riff comes in, it's essentially, um, 
I oh man oh and it's essentially anything anything by uh, Drama Rama, which it that was like I want to say like 1985 or something, and then the chord progression underneath that once the uh, the uh, rhythm guitar comes in is like major chords where it should be minor chords again, which is like a very Pixies thing. So it sounds in a lot of ways like classic rock and you could definitely see where they were coming from. But that's, that's such a good point that it totally does. Like at, especially when people would go to metal for their hard stuff back then, right? It's taking you from like the yelly pop of 1985 to the, grunge that's to follow this that's really interesting i mean it's interesting to kind of see those connections not necessarily explicit connections to metal but as a i mean this is like again we, we've kind of talked about alternativeness it is actually the real like in that way it's an alternative almost like a kind of third party is a like alternative to like two major parties right? right this is like kind of presenting a way if you want loud music um that that this is this is something that's there i guess i mean this is interesting because we're thinking about kind of forms of loud music or forms of aggressive music. I think the other kind that was kind of present, at least in the early '80s, is um, is is punk. And, you know, Rachel, as our as our punk correspondent, um, what do you make of the kind of the ways in which this is or is not punk, and and, what, and how does that kind of matter for understanding what's going on on this album? Well, I think a lot of what you say about the dynamics, um, in particular, the kind of like vocal, soft, loud dynamics. Um, to me, it really highlights sort of like I think I think this kind of different from like punk music. I think punk music has a lot more of like an um, the kind of immediacy of almost like transcribing the live experience to record. Like there aren't that many punk albums that are super like produced, polished, right? Yeah, or polished, right? They all sound kind of like shit, and they all kind of just sound like basically like we we took the band and we recorded their songs, with the exception of maybe like. London Calling, right? Like, <laughs> right, right. With the exception of like London Calling, or right, yeah. But I think even like the hardcore bands or anything that was like kind of happening in the eighties, I think sounds a lot more like here's the band, here are the songs, um, you know. And even like the, you know, I'm thinking of like X, and they have like, you know, I mean, I think there's definitely like kind of like contrast and a sort of like dynamism between like the female and male vocals but it's not the soft loud like soft doesn't work live right you don't really you can't really do the whisper thing live that well right i I am sure there are just legions of yin yang twin fans that would beg to differ (laughs) (laughs) i can't believe once we started talking about whispering i was like i can't wait till the first reference Wait till I, I knew make, that I would. Wait till I make that reference. Hey, <laughs> hey, hey, podcaster. Wait till I make that reference. <laughs> yeah, no. I mean, you know, when the Yigyak twins do that song, it just sounds like they're shouting, like live, like because they are. You know, they can't help it. And I, I do think there is something um, kind of interesting of like taking advantage of. You know, this is like produced, right? This is definitely oh, yeah, produced. super polished. Like, like, it's a very. This is basically their black album. Um, but the black album was like Metallica's fifth album, and this was their second studio album. You know, for, for a so, hot second, I thought you were talking about Jay Z's black album, and I was less with it. You, but yeah, yes, yes, this is their Metallica's black album. This was this was their like we're weird. We know that we've been weird. 
Now let's be really good. And it's by no means is this album not weird. It is weird AF, but like I'll, again, like in Surfer Rosa, a lot of the vocals are kind of almost neglected. And in this, I don't know if Kim Deal became a much better singer. I, I would doubt it. I just think that maybe they were pushed for better, really good vo- vocal performances. And that's why, I mean, Metallica reacted to going from having these uh, sort of quick work albums. They'd rock really hard. It was more honest to what they were as a live band, sort of similar to what uh, Rachel was saying with uh, with punk to, OK, like we are going to slave in the studio and we are going to probably hate each other. And that's why, I mean, they made, as you mentioned, Ryan, they made two pretty damn good studio albums after this. Um they were never the same really after this, like yeah. this, after this album, uh, black Francis took the keys away from Kim deal completely yeah. and, uh, made the band <laughs> a lot worse. Um, so this was basically their, um, going for broke now at the expense of their own relationships and their future of a band. But the result was a really, really polished album that still could be really frantic when it wanted to, um, like with like uh, like Crackety Jones. It could be all over the place when it wanted to, but it was still like really, really good. I mean, Here Comes Your Man obviously is just a <laughs> an almost comically clean pop song, despite its lyrical content. Um I don't know if they could have recorded that song like two years earlier, you know? Like I don't know if they could have uh, recorded Debaser as well two years earlier. So this was, despite it being like really really rock and roll, it was a it was an undertaking. I mean, it's so funny you say that because it's like one. I, it's weird. I've had this thought, but I've never been able to articulate it out loud. Is that I've always wished that Gigantic were on this album, and I think that what <laughs> and I think that what you are saying uh, is is bringing that home. Is that like that there is just whether it's in the recording or just how they end up arranging things. Um, that like the songs that are here, you have a sense that like the bones are more or less similar to what was uh, on on Surfer Road. But there's sure. enough kind of realization that is a little better. So it's like if your favorite Pixies uh, song was on a different album, like you can't help but want it to be on this album. Now I know that Rachel is actually a really strong um, fan of Trump Lamond of the last album, um, yeah. and and we could we could talk about that in a bit. But I, I think that there is, I mean, I think and I, you know I mentioned Gigantic and DJ. You were mentioning um, the influence and the kind of importance of Kim Deal, and I, I think that it's absolutely right. I think that another you know, element of, of, you know, just both her as a kind of collaborative partner, um, is, is I think really important at both as kind of a counterbalance to, um, to black Francis, uh, uh to, to Frank black, to whatever you want to call him, um, yeah. to, to the man of many pseudonyms, uh, right. More pseudonyms than a Wu Tang member. Um, that, that I think that the other thing that's important about her distinctive contributions are the ways, and you know, we've talked about kind of 
um, ways that the the sound of the Pixies are influential. I think a third one is not only like so the, we talked about dynamic range, but there's also range um, in kind of pitch, and that that you and that oh, she's yeah. she's both re- responsible for the low lows and the high highs, right? So that and you have there are many of these moments where, like you say, the first thing you hear uh, is that bass, and there are so many songs where the bass is actually doing a lot of this melodic work, uh, and it's this kind of thick kind of round low end that actually i think is really important to a lot of the sounds of you know that you eventually take that and kind of muddy it up you add distortion you add um other effects and that's actually kind of the backbone of a lot of sounds of um of of the of of the 90s but then at the same time you you have um the kind of really high um, vocals on top of that, both hers and um, and and Frank Black's as well. Yeah, and and I think that though that kind of merging of the low end and the high end is just like really important for for like the sound of what comes later, and and that she really brought the both the low end and the high end, and so as the as that kind of um, as she gets more and more sidelined, at least that part of the sound. And I think the dynamics, to an extent as well, kind of all get pushed to the middle a little bit, right? Yeah, and like it, it would not surprise me at all if technically Kim Deal is not a good bass player because I mean you're kind of, you think of all of her uh, like iconic bass lines and they're all just like eighth notes on one fret, then jump to eighth notes on the next fret, then maybe move up, uh, or I'm sorry, on the next string, and then maybe move up two frets or whatever. But like that's the smells like teen spirit riff you know like one doesn't happen without the other so her bass lines were as important to one band and as important to the music that was going to come after that band as anything else and i'm glad that you mentioned just the vocal range having a female lead singer uh, or co-lead singer i should say and a male co-lead singer who fancied himself like an elton john who had no problem singing the high harmonies of the female when there's a female there who's able to do it uh gave them so much to work with and um i feel like i'm only kind of referencing gigantic right now but um yeah they they kind of had nothing that they couldn't do between the two of them, which is what makes it so tragic that they felt they couldn't work together. Uh, you mentioned uh, Trompe Le Monde. My favorite song on that album is probably Subaculture, and I can just like hear how like stale it is, and I can hear the disdain from the two people who are singing the song to each other. And you mentioned you hear your favorite songs on other Pixies albums, and you wonder what it could have been like on um on Doolittle and that's probably exhibit A for me. No, I I, I think um I think I, I think there is something there. You're right about like hearing that like staleness and subculture. I mean, there is definitely something like lacking from Travelamon. I think part of it is that Rachel's now on the defensive. I'm a little uh, on the defensive. No, but I really do I'm not like- going after that album. I'm just going after like post Doolittle. You yeah. know, post do little in general. I do think that's it's a weaker. very fine and polite line that you are drawing. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think post do little is weaker. And then I, for whatever reason, just really liked trompe Le Mans. Uh, so all, the thing we can agree is on is shitting on bossa Nova. Like, so, yeah, exactly. we, we are bossa Nova haters. And also, mm-hmm. I mean, we were talking about this with um, just watching uh, Radiohead uh, over the weekend at, at Lollapalooza. Like, 
and Red Hot Chili Peppers, there are a lot of bands who do great things. And as you're doing the great things, you're introducing your genius and informing other geniuses work, you know, like you're once you've kind of introduced uh, things that haven't been going on, other people can jump can jump onto that and then take it a step further. And I feel that by the time Doolittle was out and the Pixies were now figuring out, um, I guess, how they were going to proceed after making this great, great album. Now you're just another year closer and now another year further into the careers of other bands who are now going to hit their stride, I guess. So I feel like with Doolittle, it was so groundbreaking that no one else could touch it. And then I guess like the Pixies biological clock began to tick. <laughs> I mean, that, and I, I, and I'll we'll turn back to um, let Rachel finish her thought on Trouble Mom, but I think to kind of uh, hammer that home, and, I, and I, I could be wrong about this, but I believe Trump Lamont, the last Pixies album, re- was released on the same day as Nevermind uh, in 1991. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I, I believe be- I could be, I, 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 it, with it, if, uh, if it's not the exact same day, uh, I believe um, we'll see how good my Wikipedia retention is, but I believe it's September 24th, 1991 for both of those. Um, but I, I could be I could be mistaken. But like Rachel, I think you were going to uh, a little bit defend something about what that speaks to you about Troplamon, and I think it could be useful in part as we turn to some specific songs on Doolittle that that work. Like, what is your kind of oh, case no. for loving Troplamon? I think I, you know, in some ways, it could be that it's just it's because it's the end. It actually just almost sounds like like a different band, right? And it's and I guess I don't mind that band. Right, and I get it, it, it definitely sounds like '90s rock. Yes, and so it's like it's almost like I I am okay with that band, and I think if you are saying, if you're thinking about it as a Pixies album, I could see it being disappointing. But then when you just listen to the album, it's like, well, I could like this band, and I I do I like that band. Oh, also. And, and you have the, it's funny you have a kind of a thing for that kind of things. I, I feel like you have the same relationship with the last Velvet Underground album as well, right? Or like one of the later ones. That's certainly not the um, the like Velvet Underground and Nico era band, but it's the the album that has like Murder Mystery on it. Um, you you liked a fair amount. Uh, or you're talking about the the Who Loves the Sun album. Oh, maybe that's the one. Yeah, yeah that's yeah, the one yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no, I do like that album. And yeah, it's also kind of like not that band. But it's it's like I like that band, whoever they are on that album. I mean, I don't feel this way about... I don't have some weird like last album like uh, no, you're, fetish. No, you're making... You're, you're make, go ahead, sorry. No, yeah, but you know, I just think... I think you're right, though, DJ, that if you're thinking about it in like relation to, to like the Pixie sound... Um, it is probably disappointing. I you think. Will, you, go, sorry, but yeah, but it's like it's, it's just this. I almost, I almost feel like you have to view it as like it's like a different band altogether. You really like completely owned me because you used a take that I try to use uh, against me, or you exposed me for um, neglecting something I feel strongly about music, and it's exactly what you said: is um, don't hold a band's success against them don't hold the fact that the band that a band made such an iconic album against them because you could you would still love that band even if they didn't because their other works are good enough i was actually uh talking over the weekend with uh a guy named martin rickman who writes for uprocks and he's just 
an encyclopedia of music, and we had this exact conversation about both Michael Jackson and Metallica, how people like dog early 90s Michael Jackson because it wasn't off the wall. And the line that he had, and if we had done a podcast, this would have been the name of the episode, was, uh, sorry, every album I make can't be a top 10 album of all time. It's just that there are only 10 of them, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And I think that that's a very, very smart way to uh, think of great bands. And again, like I said, people do it with Metallica. They say like, oh, load and reload. It's, It's crap. And in like compared to a lot of their earlier stuff it is crap but if that band came out in the mid 90s with those albums that would be the band that people were listening to in the mid 90s you know yeah. so and i i will say that i definitely feel that way about tromplemond that um if that were by another band and that was that band's only album maybe i would consider them like one of the greatest one hit one like one album wonders of all time Who well yeah i mean if it's if, if there were another band that would basically be blue album uh weezer right like in some ways yeah. right like and uh and again actually weezer on is the is the flip of that where like you almost want weezer to stop after two uh and uh and and if if just you had just weezer's first two albums it'd be a greatest band of all time but then they kept making them and right, we, exactly. we never they get that yeah we never get that magical last album from weezer we, we always hope that each one will be the magical last album um but they they just keep going i mean again and we actually talked about their most recent album which is actually weirdly a return so there's almost a hope that they'll they'll end uh, just call it here uh but that that is not their style um kind of swinging back to to do little um what are um and for you guys, and, and you, you, you can uh, maybe I'll start with Rachel. Like, are there any specific songs that really kind of you gravitate towards uh, as kind of favorites on the album, or ones that you find kind of particularly interesting, whether it's kind of musically or or lyrically? Uh, I, yes, I think DJ actually mentioned "Wave of Mutilation" is it is just a, is awesome. It's it's amazing. I I like. I don't know how to describe the sound of it, but I, I do think they did a great job in making it sound like an ocean and giving it a sort of spacey, epic... There's a spacey epicness to it, um, which I think I like in music generally, right? Like, I like the kind of the weird uh, echoing reverb of, like, surf rock, and I like I like dub, like, generally things that kind of sound like you put dub production on it. Yeah. I guess I like, I like it when music sounds like it's going into, like, outer space ocean territory, and this song really captures that to me. It, it's, it's about the ocean, and it's about, it's about dying and killing yourself in the ocean, but it, it you know, it sounds... It sounds like it's the the vastness is really captured both lyrically and musically. Well, like the, those four, the like four chords, uh, or the, I guess like the yeah, the four chords um, that would I guess technically serve as like a pre-chorus in that song, like during the uh, you think I'm dead, but like that part. Like mm-hmm. you almost hear like the Beach Boys singing like yeah. ba 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 ba. Like it is like it's like a very California um, sounding sound, but it's mangy and it's, it's gross, but they say a great song can be played on um, just a piano. Uh, I tweak that take and say a great song can be played in other styles and it's still a great song. And wave mutilation is like, 
it's a Beach Boys song. It's a Rage Against the Machine song. It's like so many. It, it could be so many different things. Um, my answer to that question is actually Gouge Away. I think that um, yeah. that's like a really, really, um, I, I, would, I guess dramatic is the, the way to put it. Um, and it's... Um, it has like sort of the the whisper into scream dynamic, um, but it's a lot moodier, and I I just I love it. That's that's my favorite of theirs, maybe ever. I mean, this is yeah. It, I was I've been thinking, and it's such a good end of the album, right? It's like you feel like the energy is going that the um, the album is ending on on silver, right? And, and that feels right. like all right. That's like a way albums end, right? It's by getting a little quiet, uh, quieter, a little more folksy, and then Gouge Away comes in, and it's like an ending. It's like by ending the album, it then like begins the nineties, right? Um, <laughs> yes, right. Because because exactly. it, it's just like it, it really just like opens up a door where like this sounds like a such a 90s song um, so it's like their revol- it's, this album is like their revolver uh yeah. they they conclude this mid to late 60s album and you're like okay it's all done oh wait now here's tomorrow never knows and they've just totally they end a great album by blowing down the door of the next thing that's to come. Yeah, exactly. I, I and I, I really do feel that way when I listen to this album. Is that it, it like to the to that song? And I, I think that um, Wave of Mutilation connects sonically. Uh, it's a very similar, right? They're they're similar songs um, in that they're these kind of driving, kind of bass driven songs um, that feel kind of connected to the kind of tempos and dynamics that you hear later. Um, um, and 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 it's so interesting, right? That these two kind of connect um, uh, to, uh, and, and I think maybe my song, and then we can kind of like I, I can draw a connection between these. Um, I mean, the one that I love and always gravitate to, and it, it's an easy answer, um, but it's debaser. Um, and and it, it, on so many levels, I think Rachel was talking about this earlier. But as a um, you know pretentious kid who took film one hundred and one freshman year of college, then kind of he, I, like at that point was when. I was ready for debaser after seeing um uh, uh you see the movie before you heard the song uh-huh yeah oh that's i sure unbelievable. did unbelievable that's yeah. so cool yeah yeah so for me it was like oh rather than being like um like yeah so i i watched unshane andalou in um in in my intro to film studies class which was like one of those things and it's like this is awesome right surrealism is awesome and art film is awesome uh but that so for me like the um the the pixies were cool because they they referenced Brunel um, and Dali rather than uh, rather than vice versa, right? Uh, right, and so that that is kind of uh, I guess I guess um, Dali is my um, NCAA football, <laughs> 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 you know. So it's just like uh, it, it, there there are many pathways to the pixies, uh, but all but all roads lead to the pixies, um, and but I think what's striking about these three and this kind of comes at the beginning kind of midpoint and end of the album and these are all extraordinarily violent songs right we have yeah. actually and the, the album ends and begins on the gouging of eyeballs right mm-hmm. um 
So that's right there. I mean, the 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 part of Unchained Andalou that's referenced in um, De Baser is is slicing up eyeballs. This is kind of this iconic scene from the very beginning of um, Unchained Andalou, where a guy is casually kind of uh, looking. Um, you know, he's he's looking at the moon. He's he's outside. He's he's sharpening a razor, and then walks over and casually cuts a woman's eyeball, slices the eyeball. Um, and it was kind of I think famously um, re- reproduced by cutting. A, a cow's eyeball, I, I believe, is was was how they did that effect, um, and then it, it ends right. Gouge away is a um, is a recreation of the story, the biblical story of Samson and Delilah, right? And and Samson's Samson was um, blinded uh, by the Philistines, right? And his eyes were gouged out, um, and so and then in between these two um, um, feats of of eyeball mutilation, there is the kind of uh, the idea of a wave of mutilation um, is is really. Is, is interesting and it's there in, in kind of the lyrics of, of that song right um, is the um, and, and I, I'm, I'm off book right now but it's you may think I'm dead but I sail away on a wave of mutilation um, and, and I think that that kind of connects a bit to Samson as well, right? Samson is blinded uh, and weakened by his, and, and, and I'm a little rusty on all my on, on all my Bible, uh, on my Old Testament. Um, although we we kind of referenced it uh, last week, uh, we we did uh, Beastie Boys Paul's Boutique and end up also going deep on Old Testament with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, from that album, which is also another Old Testament story. But that um, you know that Samson is blinded um, and and weakened by by having his hair cut, um, but then. Ultimately, kind of regains his strength and kind of pulls uh, pulls the temple down, and so that there is this kind of interesting like dichotomy that's being set up in a lot of these songs between kind of violence and bodily harm and destruction and kind of overcoming strength, um, strength that strength or survival that overcomes this, uh, this violence. I don't know. I, it was just, it was interesting that it, once we were kind of picking these three songs, those kind of resonances of both violence and response to violence kind of came through very strong. I don't know if there are any kind of other thematic things that you guys um, felt in, in those. I think just disaster. Um, mm. Wave of mutilation. Uh, certainly, here comes your man. Um, probably others that that um, I'm not. Uh, uh, mon- of, monkeys, but... monkey gone to heaven. Oh, right? oh environmental. God, yeah. and, you know the. Uh, yeah, that's tons probably of that's the biggest one on the album. New Jersey, right? Um, right. Yeah. Ten million um, pounds of sludge. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, like this. Donald Trump could serve to to hear to listen to. Uh, um, the Pixies for a little bit to just like think of the the things that he's neglecting. And uh, it's funny that you say that because I actually I think we had like a global warming warning call for Donald Trump. We you know we, we actually this is this is telling. Uh, I think we had a uh, about a year ago, and I mean what, how naive we were that we thought we could make jokes about this kind of thing. But we our our Van our um, uh, album on Van Halen's 1984 was actually called "I Bet Donald Trump Is a Huge Van Halen Fan," uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and. And, and and I think that that you know I think there is something uh, very you know, the, the, like it's definitely a very different uh, awareness listening to David Lee Roth um, and Eddie Van Halen be awesome uh, and uh, and kind of the the Pixies be awesome but foreboding right uh, and, yes and kind exactly of, right uh, and, and there are, there are kind of very different uh, uh, mentalities I mean Rachel is there anything else that you're kind of 
that you pick up kind of thematically, either in these songs or in others? I, I think there's um I think there's a weird kind of conflation, and I think this is like really expressed in Cactus, but I think in a lot of the songs where it's like sexy violence or like yeah. there's like there's kind of like. I don't know, these sort of, like, competing or, like, complementary, like, both, like, violence and lust are kind of, like, tied together or, like, all all kind of one large stew. And I think that kind of comes through in, like, the soft, loud dynamic, right? I write this kind of sexy whispering and then the screaming, the scary screaming. And then in Cactus in particular, which is, like, like the weirdest kind of like love song or sex song I can think of, um, right? About about like bleeding on a dress, like cutting your, getting yourself bloody from like hurting yourself from a cactus, and then sending the bloody dress to like your lover. Um, it's just like a very uh, I I can't think of you know I I feel like that to me is the exa- the the prime example of this like conflation of like sex and violence and the two of them being like the lust going together going together with this uh kind of gory violence no i will I, say the pixies are in a contest with themselves in that regard uh because <laughs> bone machine uh is like the one one a with cactus <laughs> yeah. I think that you know I, it'll be interesting because I know in a couple weeks we actually have uh, Nine Inch Nails' uh, "Pretty Hate Machine" coming up. So r- right now, I mean, I feel like that. I, I mean, I, I think that Nine Inch Nails uh, gives them a run for their money. Um, but I, again, I, I think that uh, it'll be interesting to kind of see how they stack up. But it, it is kind of Pixies and Nine Inch Nails are pretty much our uh, uh, industry leaders in in sexy violence. Um, I mean, I think that this kind of connects. Actually, to the biblical references, right? So mm-hmm. that you know, both the um, you know, I was talking about gouge away, and you know, the Samson story is that you know, this kind of violence um, is 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 connected to his uh, romantic affair with Delilah, um, and it's actually not. This is not the only right. It's 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 striking that this is an album that has not one but two tales of biblical sexy violence, right? The other <laughs> one is um, Dead, which is about David and Bathsheba, um, and and that's like a a story where um, King David uh, has an affair with Bathsheba, um, and uh, and uh, who is married to a guy named uh, Uriah of the of the Uriah hit the crapper lyric. Um, and but in in this uh, in the story in the biblical story, um, David knocks Bathsheba up and wants to get uh, wants to get Uriah to basically come back. Uh, he, Uriah's a soldier. Uh, he calls him back from the front so that he will sleep with his husband and no one will know that the king was the one who knocked her up but uriah won't do it like uriah will not um uh, sleep with his wife because there's a code that says soldiers on duty um aren't supposed to be having sex so then david goes and sends uriah to the front lines to be killed <laughs> um and uh and then and i believe marries bathsheba uh, again i'm a little kind of um a, a, a little uh rusty on it but like the the point is that, that there are this I mean, it's interesting that there is um, sex and uh, sex and 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 violence are tied together, and I think actually it connects in that way to disaster as this kind of. I mean, disaster is almost as punishment. Whether it's not, it's kind of divine divine punishment ex- explicitly. I feel like that is like the side of like there are like. 
you know, wicked people doing, you know, horrific things. Um, and, and, and there is, there is also kind of mass punishment where there's individual violence and kind of mass violence. And it's this kind of, um, you know, this despairing, this cycle of, of despair. Um, I don't know. Are there any moments of kind of hope, uh, or kind of, um, um, uplift or is it all that kind of, uh, of disturbing all the way down? La La Love You just because they don't allow for enough other lyrics to crack open the door of whatever they're probably singing about. Like They, they keep it so limited to all I'm saying, pretty baby, La La Love You, don't mean maybe, and then first base, second base, third base, home run. That, I mean, for all we know, that's a song about like just the worst murder that's ever happened. But uh, <laughs> the lyrically, it's... The, Someone can listen to that Pixies song and say, this is a nice, pretty love song. But when I think of a love song by the Pixies on this album, I actually don't go right to La Love You. I go to Hey. And I think that that's more like that's the more authentic version of the Pixies trying to write a love song where a chorus of only we're chained, we're chained, we're chained, we're chained. You can't tell what exactly they mean by chained like if it's like a metaphor or if it's just literally about two lovers chained to each other you know um and that's i feel like there haven't been enough um like uh i guess uh, analysis pieces or um tell-alls on the part of black francis as to what exactly the hell he was talking about on a lot of his songs because uh Hey could be an optimistic song and it could be the most dreary song in the world. Yeah. <laughs> Again, we have those those opposites, right? The loud, soft, the high, low, uh, dreary, uplifting, right? I mean, uh, it's 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 just another one of those contrasts. Um, it is interesting. I mean, on um, on on genius, a lot of the genius interpretations quote. There's like one interview um, that he did with uh, Esquire. They must have. Uh, I imagine it's like the title of the article is something like um, uh, "Black Francis explains the meanings of your favorite Pixies songs." Because like it, it, it is the one uh, thing that is cited uh, as kind of canonical. But even then, his explanations are really obscure and really kind of non-direct. Like even on uh, "Hey," he describe like he answers a question about "Hey" by describing that it is a slow jam r&b song um <laughs> which is i mean you know I that's guess, such a father john misty thing to do right like, hey, what, what is this like this definitely non-r&b song what is it about like it's a slow jam r&b song okay I, thanks i guess what he's saying is that like there ain't nothing wrong with like a little i don't see i don't, see, I, I don't see nothing wrong with a little bit of whores <laughs> right exactly i don't see nothing, nothing wrong, wrong with whores in my bed yeah yeah yeah. exactly exactly um yeah it, it is uh it is interesting though i mean it, it yeah it's it's Rachel, do you have another uh, another song that uh, that is kind of jumps out at you? That is like positive. No, not necessarily. If if not, like uh, no, I I mean I think "La La Love You" is kind of like sarcastic. Um, <laughs> so even that. So is- even then, I can't even see it's like super positive. Um, I do think I think you're right that like uh, "Hey" is probably like, the most like a love song, or like at least. I think, and I think we feel that way because it, it sounds kind of like the most like earnest 
like yeah. an earnest, like yeah. I, I like I, I need you. Uh, there's like an earnestness there. There's yearning, right? Or yearning. There's like earnest yearning. But and I think that's like um, I, I do think that's there. Uh, I think other songs on this album that stand out to me though, um, you know, I really. I really, I mean, I love Debaser. I love Wave Mutilation. Um, you know, and I actually really do love Hey. I have to say, it's one of that. I think actually Hey is another standout for me. Um, you know, I hey, think the, yeah, no, no, go ahead. No, it's just like, I, I think because of that yearning, that earnest yearning, it, there is something kind of like uh, the, the sexiness comes through because it's so earnest. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's a palpable energy, right? That like this person wants another person. Uh, Hay was in a movie with, uh, Seth Rogen and Elizabeth Banks called, uh, Zach and Miri make a porno, I think. And, um, there's sort of this, they have a working relationship and it's sort of like, uh, uh, neither one of us thinks this could ever happen. Like we, like we're not going to fall in love and you're too good for me and I'm not good enough for you. And there's sort of this understanding. And, uh, also I don't remember this movie well enough. Maybe I'm painting this picture completely wrong and maybe none of these actors or this movie title are correct. But, um, there's a scene where like, I forget, like basically one of them sees the other with, um, somebody else. And, uh, hay is playing and it's so perfect for that scene and i remember i saw the movie when i was in college and i was like god the pixies would probably hate this like they i mean they obviously signed off on receiving money for this but that their song does work so perfectly for like a movie with seth rogan and elizabeth banks um and i think it is you use the word uh earnest rachel I think that it sort of captures um, the maybe like unrequited love feeling. And uh, I don't know. I just I guess I never although I do uh, peg the Pixies as a band that a pop fan should appreciate. I feel them being so smack dab in the middle of pop culture uh, is just alarming. But it was like a pleasant surprise for me. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting to say, like, and part of that alarm comes from all the kind of, like, the the sexy violence that we're identifying, right? But I guess, yeah. I guess in some ways, it is that that sexy violence is there. I mean, we were referencing R. Kelly, we were re- referencing kind of other pieces of pop music, and there, I think that, you know, we were, re- we were referencing Since You've Been Gone, like, a lot of this kind of connection between sex and power and violence is there throughout pop music and part of what the pixies do is is kind of uncover that dark heart that is that is there at at the middle of pop culture and in that way that actually connects them to another um one of their kind of influences inspirations is david lynch right that that kind of taking what is middle america what is what is pop and showing the dark weirdness and the and the dark violence at the heart of that um that's tied to sexuality and identity and and kind of um you know dreams and religion i mean that's twin peaks in a 
nutshell, um, that's blue velvet, right? The, and and so that this is kind of um, this is definitely I feel like um, you know that that there's been a lot of made of kind of connections between um, uh, the Pixies and and kind of David Lynch, but I think in kind of talking out what's going on kind of lyrically and musically, I think that that is what kind of um, hammers home that kind of accomplishment. This is a a musical accomplishment of that kind of Lynchian project of showing the kind of rotten core of of pop, right, and of of, mm. of, popu- of popular culture, right. Um, and so, well, I, I think that we we've we've delved into this rotten core uh, of of pop culture, and now we just have to eat the rest of the apple uh, week after week. Uh, and so, uh, we're, we've uh, we've uh, reached the end of uh, of our episode, but I think there's a lot um, more uh, more to discuss here. So, there's a lot of ways to continue this conversation. Um, we you can find us on uh, Twitter. Uh, we're Theory for Turntables, or I guess we're TFT Podcasts on Twitter. Theory for Turntables on Facebook. Uh, you can go to the show notes uh, at overthinkingit.com um, leave a comment there um, and just kind of continue this conversation because again, this is a, um, an album that I imagine there's a lot of personal reactions to, a lot of individual songs that speak to you. Um, and DJ, where can people find you uh, on on the internet? And uh, what, what do you have to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at DJ underscore Bean um, you can also find uh, the brunch podcast that I do with Pete Blackburn on Twitter at uh, Listen to Brunch. So, yes. And uh, I mentioned your uh, your blog as well, and and uh, some written oh, words right. that you can find. Uh, but tell tell folks about uh, about where to find that. Yes, that is uh, called. Uh, it's so recent that I've already forgotten about it. Um, it is called "Not the Game," and you can go over to weei.com and either click on something that says "Not the Game," or you can just go to notthegame.weei.com. Awesome. Well, DJ, thanks for joining us uh, and for talking about uh, the Pixies. And you know, given the amount of of other albums of the um, early, late '80s and early '90s that you were referencing that are also on our list of things to discuss, I have a really really strong feeling that we'll be hearing you again pretty soon uh on this podcast i want nothing more so many <laughs> so many of the things that you mentioned are uh, uh on our list of albums uh so uh here we are and so whether we are sailing away uh on a wave of mutilation or just chained together on a bed just know that uh, as always we are going to continue to keep it real